Location, location, location. Mm. Anyone who's dealt in real estate knows that this is the most important thing. We talked about what true worship is in past episodes of Interman Radio. Right, right. And how, by knowing that, it's freeing. This time, let's look at the only place, the only location that God allows us to worship Him. Awesome. Welcome to Inner Man Radio, where we help you accomplish more than you thought you could through Christ's power working in us, regardless of what your pastor told you last week. So guys, grab your Bibles, drop your excuses, and let's get ready to win. In the last groundbreaking, earth-shattering episode of Inner Man Radio, Mark... It was better than average. I think it was. Yeah. Riveting. Riveting. Uh, we just we explored the concept of what worship is, and that's really important because in John chapter 4, Jesus says that God is desiring true worshipers, and as Christians, that's exactly what we want to be, true worshipers of God. That's our heart's desire. So the question then is, is what is worship, and do we need outside things to help us do it? And the conclusion that we came to last time, which I think was really, in a way, a bit revolutionary— the fact of the matter is, is we don't really need any outside stimulus to be able to worship God. Right. When God describes worship, you know, the word means to kiss toward, and, and it's that kind of fond affection coupled with the respect that belongs to God that really defines what worship is. That's not something that should come and go with us. That's a, that's a result of a decision. Just like when we get married, that's a decision, and the relationship then follows based on that choice. When we're talking about worship, in the sense that we worship God, our decision to be submissive to God as the bride of Christ shouldn't change based on whether or not the calendar says it's Sunday or it's Monday. That's an all-encompassing proposition. Yeah, but there is one caveat to all this, and that is that God has specifically in the scriptures made it clear that there's only one location that true worship happens. Where is that? Yeah, that's right. Now, you listened last week and we talked about how, how we worship at all times, in all places. Yeah. So... If you're paying attention, this is going to sound a little bit strange at first. But hang on, I think. But, I think but that's nothing new happened. for our program. <laughs> that's I mean, right. contradiction is strange. strange. Sure. At first. Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, he said, Lady, he said, your father's worship here in, in, in this mountain. She described that to him. And, and he said, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain, that's Mount Gerizim, this is verse 21, nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the father. Now he is talking about some location here. And he says, we're not going to worship at Mount Gerizim and we're not going to worship in Jerusalem. We want to go back just a little bit and we want to talk about how worship has taken place in the past. And we're going to start that in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 1. Okay, before we go there, Mark, uh, there might be some people asking the question right now, why do I want to dig into all this? Why is this important? And why should I, frankly, why should I really care about all the different aspects of how they used to do it and where and all this? I just have a heart that wants to serve God. I love God, worship Him, and I'm good. So why should I care about spending the next 20 minutes digging into this? Because you are the only people as Christians who can worship God. But this understanding is going gonna, is gonna to open your eyes so that you really better understand what that means. God wants that kind of relationship. He wants that kind of worship. But when we find out today how location is connected to what produces worship, 
You're going to have a totally new perspective by the time we're done. Wow. Okay. Exodus chapter 24. God speaks to Moses. This is after the Israelites have come out of Egypt, and he's got them up there at Mount Sinai. And he said to Moses in verse 1, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. God invites some of the some of the uh, the leaders of Israel up a little bit the mountain, and they get to see God from a distance, and he says they are going to worship. The description of that is in verses 9 through 11. The point we want to make, though, is that where God wants to be worshipped is where God is. Whoa. Okay, now say it again. <laughs> where God wants to be worshipped is, is where, where God is. When okay. somebody finds themselves... In the presence of God, the natural result, the only result is they worship. great example of that is in uh, Matthew chapter 14. Let's do Matthew 14 and let's look at verse 33. This is when uh, Jesus is, uh, has you just showed up. The disciples have been rowing the boat against the wind mm-hmm. and this, the waves and the you know the whole story. Right. And uh, Jesus comes to them walking on the water in the middle of the night. Okay. And in Matthew 14... Verse 32, it says, when they got into the boat, so Peter's been out, you know, and you know the story. The Lord pulls him up out of the water after he walks and then sinks. Okay, right. pulls him up. They get into the boat, and immediately in verse 32, it says, the wind stopped. Okay. okay. And those who were in the boat, in verse 33, worshipped him. Okay. They said, you are certainly God's son. So we have to be in a boat. It might make some people feel closer to God. Okay. It makes me feel a little bit green. But where they recognized, this is God. They saw that when Jesus got in the boat, all of a sudden the waves stopped, right? Everything obeyed his command. He stepped in the boat and bam, it was done. And they all recognized, wow, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him, right? And they worshipped him. They recognized God is in our Midst and they hit the deck, man. They were they were on the floor of that boat and they worshipped him because they recognized in whose presence they were standing. That's a common occurrence in the scriptures when men come face to face or when they recognize they're in the presence of God. Yeah. That is the natural response, right? It sure is. Even you know, even of angels, and the angels sometimes correct them because men have the tendency. When coming into the presence of someone greater in strength and power, to fall flat. And so that happens often. And the angels will not accept that. The angels say, no, no, get up. I'm a fellow servant of yours. And so they don't accept that because worship is for God and for God alone. Yes. So when we find ourselves in the presence of God, the natural result is worship, is to bow down before God. Another great example of that is in Psalm 5. You know what? Let's uh, let's pick it up in verse 7. So David says, As for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. Now the Old Testament temple filled that role. Right. Because Jesus says to the woman at the well, he says, hey, we Jews, we worship that which we know. They were supposed to worship at the temple, but he says there's a change coming. David was under that old system where he did worship at the temple. So he came and he did indeed bow in reverence at your holy temple. But Jesus says there's going to be a change. He says that's the way we did it. There's going to be a change. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to get close to God, Moses and the elders got about as close as you're going to get. Later, the tabernacle was constructed, the temporary tent where God caused his name to dwell. And if somebody wanted to get close to God, 
That's where they went. Yes. And that's where they worshipped. After the tabernacle, it was replaced by the temple, the permanent structure built by Solomon. If somebody wanted to be close to God, they went to Solomon's temple. And they worshipped at the temple. Because that's as close as you could get to where God is. When the disciples recognize who Jesus is, standing in the boat, they're close to God. Really close. Yes. And what do they do? They hit the deck. They worship, right? Right. It's the natural response of being in God's presence. If I go from my house to the church building, Uh I am not any closer to God's presence than I was before I started. Well, wait, wait, wait. It depends on the church building, though. Yeah. Doesn't it? I <clears throat> no, mean, like the, not even no. elevation gain will help Not you. elevation gain. Not the 100-foot steeple. No, not any closer to God. The name on the sign. The name on the Does sign. Does not make right me closer. No. Nothing. See, okay. And so we have a tendency, naturally, being fleshly-minded, to think in kind of geographical terms in the same sense that the Old Testament was written geographically with a physical temple. But guys, there is no physical temple to which we might go today where God has caused his name to dwell that we might worship him at that place. So where do we go? We go to the temple. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's true that there is no physical temple, but that does not mean that God has left himself without a temple at which he may be worshipped. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Some of you guys will know this. He says, don't you know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You're going to get any closer than that? Than God in us? You can't. God in us. He says, you are the temple. I mean, it's repeated several times throughout the scriptures. You are the temple of God. First Peter brings it up too. You also, as living stones, right, are being built together into a holy, you know, a holy temple for the Lord. It's the same over and over. The temple that God has constructed is not made with stones the same way that Paul described it in Acts 17. He said he he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Well, that doesn't mean he doesn't dwell in temples. It just means the temples that God chooses to dwell in are not physical temples. They are temples of individuals. They're human hearts. He says you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. That is close. That's really close. When we live in a way that we understand and are conscious of the fact that we are the temples in which God dwells, you know what our response should be to that? Hit the deck. Not physically all the time and especially not while driving. But in spirit. Yes, in spirit. To the degree that we're conscious of the fact that we are the temple of God, that we are as close to God as you could possibly be, we should be spiritually on our knees. We should worship, to borrow Jesus' words, in spirit. spirit. Because spiritually, we are in God's presence. And that goes back, Mark, to the uh, one of the terms in the Greek that's used for worship, which is proskuneo, which means to bow and kiss towards. So it's paying homage. It's hitting the deck in a sense. It's And that word is used throughout the New Testament. Uh, there are other words, too. As a side note, we we dove into many of the words that are used for worship and <laughs> yes, service. <we> <laughs> and there are there are a lot of words that are used interchangeably for service and worship. And, it's, and sometimes the translation is back and forth depending on the version. Is that service or is that worship? Bottom line here that we're really getting at is that when God is worshipped, it's where he is. Yeah. And where he is is in us. We are the temple. 
Now, that should have profound impacts for our life. It really does. It's something we have to be reminded of. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us this perspective. He says in verse 5, he says, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him. And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, where's he? Well, he's in the true temple. He's not in a temple made with him. Solomon asked after he constructed the physical temple, he said, heaven is your throne. He said, earth is the footstool of your feet. What kind of house am I going to build for you? And the house that Solomon built was pretty, pretty impressive. Nice. Pretty good. Yeah. No expense was spared. But he even recognized that it was nothing compared to God's true temple. It was insufficient to house the God of all glory. So God has to build himself a temple. And of all the things he could choose to use, he uses us. He uses people who worship him in spirit. He brings us into his presence so that we might be around him a structure of those voices that are willingly bowed in worship to the God who deserves it. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. And it's it's breathtaking, really, Mark, if you think about he uses us. Yeah. He he chose to he chose to make his temple out of us. Out of us. Yeah. Out of us. But we have to be reminded of that because it's frankly, we all have to pay attention to the road signs in traffic. We have to I mean yeah. we have to deal in the natural world. So Colossians three verse one says, If then you have been raised up with Christ Keep seeking the things above where Christ is and set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. This is a conscious choice to view ourselves as in God's presence all the time. Visualize. Take the time to set your mind on things above. Where am I? I'm above. I'm in God's presence. I am close to God. I have drawn near to God. I am I am right there. So what's my result? Or should be I'm on my knees spiritually before God. God, what do you need from me? I'm there. I'm there. When Isaiah, you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah by revelation, by vision, he shows up in God's presence, right? And his first response is, oh Oh, no, right? Yeah, I shouldn't be here, right? His second response, after having his lips touched with the coal, his second response is, Lord, here am I, send me. That is a perfect illustration of our attitude toward God. Lord, here I am. You you need something? I, I'm available, right? Just put me on it. I'm ready to submit to whatever your will is. I'm there. That's huge. That's true worship. That is true worship. Jesus said he wants us to worship in spirit, and he said he wants us to worship in truth, right? Yes. So let's look at Matthew chapter 15. It's easy to, for people to kid themselves, to, to be so spiritually minded that they're no. just deceiving themselves. Okay. In Matthew chapter 15, in verse 8, Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Well, these guys had the appearance of worship, it would seem, right? They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. He says they worship in vain because they've replaced true doctrines with their own precepts. How do we know whether or not we're really worshiping in truth? Because it's really easy to say, Lord, I love you. I'm worshiping you. Mm-hmm. Especially if in an emotional moment or when you're around other people who are sure. saying the same thing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Where does the rubber meet the road for us when it comes to worship? Action. 
action. You got Isn't, it. I mean, how do how do we know that we love our wives? How how do we know that we love our kids? How do we know our action? Our action. Action yeah. is it? Action is always the litmus test for faith. If we have the faith that we're in the presence of God, the result of that, the proof of that should be in what we do. Are we in submission to God when it comes to our decisions? Now, guys, this is a place where you may have to pause the podcast here Mm -hmm. and ask yourself that question. If I looked at the rest of my life, would I be able to tell by my actions on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that I view myself as being in the presence of God at all times? Yeah, and a good litmus test for that might be, as we're examining that, it's easy to blow this off and just say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm in submission to God. And of course, because that's our default thinking. But a good litmus test is, do I consciously submit myself to God and his will? Do I pause and say, God, what would you like me to do? Here am I, send me. Yeah. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? And I know we're getting into service and all that, but but the bottom line here really is we can't say that we're worshiping God if we're not consciously in subjection to him, yes? Yes, yep. <clears throat> if our actions don't bear that out, then, fellas, what we have is a, is a case of self-deception. And we got to be honest about that. Yeah. So you know what? I'm going to have to up my understanding here. I'm going to have to set my mind on things above so that my response will be worship and the result will be action. Basically, really boils down to one commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's, that's the whole enchilada. If the love of God is there, if the willing submission to God is in place, then all of our heart, our mind, soul, and spirit, the whole package follows. And that's real worship. You don't need a worship leader to do that. That doesn't stop just because we walked out of the church building. It doesn't start with the first song. That's something that happens all the time. And guys, when we have that, that is life changing. That, is. that changes our whole perspective as to how we approach, Lord, send me today. Use me where you want to use me. A consistent life, a consistent walk, being the same person now, yeah. at work, at home, at the assembly, around my buddies. Yep. That's what that results in. Consistent worship, it's consistent service, consistent attitude. Really, it's consistent love of God with all our heart. Right on, because we're always in his presence. And that's the only place God can be worshipped. Amen. Amen.